In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So on the third Sunday of Advent, we're introduced in our Gospel reading to the figure of John the Baptist, who is a key figure in the church's Advent journey. So John first comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 3, and there he writes, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. We've heard that passage a lot, but it seems to me that we underestimate the significance of John's ministry. For anyone familiar with the Old Testament story, you quickly realize that there's a lot going on and a lot being fulfilled in the figure of John the Baptist. So to focus on three things, the first is this Old Testament image of the Exodus. So John's location in the wilderness evokes the Exodus journey of the Israelites from Egypt through the wilderness and into the Promised Land. This is why it's significant that John is preaching and baptizing at the Jordan River, because if you remember, that's where the first Exodus ended. So that's important. John begins his ministry and his preaching precisely where the first Exodus ends. The significance being that what John is foretelling, what John is preaching, is nothing short than of a continuation or a new Exodus. A greater work of salvation is now arriving for the people. The second thing that's coming to fruition in John's ministry, and Jesus tells us this pretty explicitly, is that John is Elijah who is to come. This is very clear from John's manner of dress. It's almost exactly how Elijah is described in 2 Kings. It says there, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around, about his waist. He is Elijah the Tishbite. It was Jewish belief, and see Malachi chapter 4 for this, that before the day of the Lord, when God would come to his people, Elijah would appear. So that's very clearly being fulfilled with John the Baptist. And then the third thing coming to fruition here is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapters 10 and chapter, or chapters 10 and 11, which speaks of, if you go back and read that, it speaks of a new Davidic kingdom. So we see this in Matthew 3, verse 10, where John says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. So again, this comes from Isaiah, which quotes then in chapters 10 and 11. It says, The Lord will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe. And there will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his, truth, from his roots shall bear fruit. This new shoot to come from the stump of Jesse refers to the new Davidic kingdom. So, again, that's just to touch on those points briefly. There's a lot going on in John's ministry. A new exodus, the arrival of Elijah, and then the coming of a new kingdom. This is why John was so popular. Remember Matthew says, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan went out to him. The people of God had been without a true prophet for literally hundreds of years. And they understood all of this. They saw in John, in John all the signs of the age to come. 
So they all went out to be baptized by him, and they all went out there, the text says, to confess their sins. And when they all went out there, when they all flocked to see John the prophet, they heard from him a very heavy message. John said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And even though this message is preached by John to the Jewish people in the first century, it still is nonetheless a message that rings down to us as we prepare for and await the coming of our Lord at Christmas. John warns us of what we, of what we, of what we might call presumption in the religious life. Here he completely tears down the idea of what is referred to as religious heritage. For the Jew, being a child of Abraham, referred to his ethnic or religious lineage. And John makes the point that God can make children of Abraham even out of the stones that are next to him while he's talking. Meaning that the children of Abraham, those who are to inherit the blessing, are not the ones who have the lineage or the heritage, but rather, as John puts it, those who bear fruit worthy of repentance. In the end, you will not be able to rely upon your lineage or your heritage. You will not be able to rely upon your practice of Christian ritual. You will not even be able to rely upon the words that you say with your mouth. The Bible is very clear that it's very possible to do all the right things externally and yet still have your heart be far from God. So again, the message is we cannot presume. The judgment that we receive from our Lord will depend solely upon the fruit that we produce. The image of fruit-bearing signifies again that it's not what we hear, what we say, what we, prof- what we profess, but rather it's only what we do in response to the requirements of God that on the last day will have any significance. It doesn't so matter or it doesn't matter so much what you believe intellectually or what you work out correctly cognitively. Getting the right answers on the test will not get you into heaven. Rather, Jesus will ask you this, and if you disagree with me on this, see Matthew 25. On the last day, Jesus will say, When I was hungry, did you give me food? When I was thirsty, did you give me drink? When I was a stranger, did you take me in? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was sick, did you visit me? When I was in prison, did you come to me? If the answer to this is yes, then our Lord will say, Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If not, Jesus will say, quote, Go away into everlasting punishment. End quote. You know, I recognize that that's a heavy message for sure. It was a heavy message for the people to hear from John the Baptist, and it's a heavy message for us to hear today. It's like Happy Advent, right? 
I think the church gets herself into trouble here because, and I spoke about this a little last week, we get confused about our role in all of this. It's not the church's role to judge the world. We are called rather to proclaim the gospel. And part of the proclamation of the gospel, even though it makes some uncomfortable, is as we pray every day during this Advent season, that Jesus will come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead. We proclaim that reality, but we do not judge how it appears one may or may not be responding to that. That's only for God to sort out. All we can do is see the outward appearances, but God sees the heart. I think this is St. Paul's point in our epistle. He says, I don't even pass this judgment on myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. Meaning that just because I think that there isn't anything against me, that doesn't mean that there isn't anything against me. But rather, he who judges me is the Lord. So Paul recognizes that he doesn't even have the sight or the wisdom to pass that judgment on himself. And thus is implied in this, how in the world could we pass that judgment on somebody else? Therefore, Paul says, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So to reiterate, there is nothing wrong with, to the contrary, the church has the vocation to proclaim the gospel, the truth of the gospel, part of which includes moral claims, part of which includes God's judgment. And we have the vocation to proclaim the need for all people to repent. But what we can't do is say that because this person does this or does that, because this person appears to be transgressing our moral proclamation, well, what that means is fill in the blank. No, Paul is convicted, and we need to be convicted, that the one who judges us is the Lord. He is the one who will reveal the counsels and the motives of the heart. So we proclaim the truth as best as we see it, but we don't make any heart judgments, let's say, on those who appear to be transgressing it. Rather, we choose to love and care for them. I think perhaps we do this simply because it's easier. It's easier to pass judgment on others than it is to look into our own hearts. But we should rather concern ourselves with what we do, with how we are responding to the Advent message to repent, to return to God, so that, as our colleague says, at his second coming to judge the world, we may be found an acceptable people in his sight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.